yeah, the, the title today is Perfectly Perfect. Uh, so that's like in preparing the sermon, it's quite a like a, a, a daunting topic. Like I, I need to somehow speak about this perfect God and in his perfection, he's infinite. It's like the very definition, the very essence of perfection. And now somehow with words, I'm going to describe this God and and somehow do the word justice, like somehow proclaim to you how perfect God is. And that's quite a... Yeah, I shouldn't tell you guys this, but I really scare so easily. Like when, when, <laughs> when Shalane and I um, got married and like in the first week at home, I was trying to scare her. Like I had a balloon somewhere. It was someone's birthday and I had a balloon. I was like waiting around the corner and she was going to come. And then I popped the balloon and she just like looked at me and I had a fright. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had to find a different way of like tricking her. Um, yeah, so I want to start with this question. Like, ask, ask the neighbor or, yeah, two or three people next to you, but just ask them, what are you praying for at the moment? Okay, I'll leave it at that. What are you praying for? Okay, I'm trying to like hear some of the answers. Out over there, a few a few people were like a husband. Must be. You guys are praying for a lot of things. Okay, I'll give you like ten more seconds. Okay. Okay, this is good. It sounds like you guys have a lot that you're praying about. Um, yeah, I was trying to like listen to like what your answers are. I'm trying to make out like I heard a Ferrari. Someone was praying for a Ferrari. <laughs> All the single ladies were like a husband, a rich husband. At least everyone has something that they're like really trusting the Lord now for, like praying for, like maybe for a few years we've been praying for this. Sometimes it's something like a job or um, just a change in our family or like a family member that doesn't know Christ. Like these are stuff we like pray for a lot. Um, but I like recently started praying this new prayer that I learned from Paul in the Bible. And I think it's a really helpful prayer. And I think we should all be praying this. Um, and I've like, in preparing for this sermon, I've been praying this like every day just for our church as well. Um, and it's in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this is Paul praying for the Ephesian church. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Yo, I think that's such a cool prayer. And it's like one of the wonders um, of the Christian faith, that Christianity or like this faith we have, this faith in Jesus, um, it's not something that's understood. We don't, uh, a new believer doesn't come to existence because he suddenly understood the gospel or like something clicked in his head and now now everything makes sense in the Bible, and now I'm going to believe. That's not how it works. 
Christianity isn't understood, our faith is like revealed to us. Like, like Gareth was saying earlier, like, oh, sorry, early in prayer, he was, he was telling us how, how Spurgeon was like, yeah, I came to faith by reading the Bible. And then he would ask these questions about how did I come to reading the Bible and how did I come to this in my life? And actually, like, God is at the bottom of it all. And the only way we can really, really understand who God is is if God reveals it to us, if he gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So then I felt like, okay, I can breathe. I don't need to convince you guys of anything. I don't need to, like, present a good case here and then, like, proclaim how good God is. Actually, God will reveal it through his word. Um, So can I pray that for us before I continue? Yeah, God, thank you that you've promised us that um, you love us, Lord, and that you desire every one of us to to know you and to be with you, Lord. And I just want to pray again, Lord, what Paul has been praying. Um, Please may you give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of of you, Lord. Um, May you teach us to know you, Lord. May you reveal this to us, Lord. May you open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you more clearly, Lord, and that we may understand your immeasurable greatness, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so next slide. I want to start with the punchline. This is the one thing you need to take away from this sermon, that God is so much greater than we could ever understand. So if you think you know how great God is, then, like, yeah, you probably shouldn't serve him. Right, like we serve a God who's greater than we could ever understand. We will never understand how great and magnificent God is. And yet, this immeasurable God, we get to know him intimately. And he knows us intimately. So that's the one thing. That's the one thing I want to drive home today. That our God is so much greater than we could ever understand. And yet, we get to know him intimately. Okay, so, so the first thing, actually, I don't want to teach you. I want to unteach you. So for us to like have a clear understanding of God's perfection, we actually just have to like get rid of some pictures of, of God that we have. God is not like us. Okay, I'm going to say that again. God is not like us. The opposite is true, right? Like in some sense, we are like God. So we are made in the image of God. There's this great God, this perfect God, and he made us in his image, right? So we are like, in some form, we are an imprint of God. But that doesn't mean that God is something like us. Okay, I used to have this picture of Jesus that, okay, Jesus was also a man on earth, and I'm also a man, so I can like picture that. Um, and like, I also love, and Jesus also loves, but he just does it better, right? Like, sometimes I don't love, but Jesus always loves. Um, and I also have mercy like Jesus. Like, every now and again, I see a frog and I help him over the road. I also have mercy. <laughs> but, like, Jesus has perfect mercy. He always, he always helps the frogs over the road. Um, or maybe, like, like, God is just. Like, he does the right thing. And I also, like, I also believe in justice and want justice. But sometimes I don't. But God always wants justice. Like, that's the picture I had of Jesus. Like, he's just a better version of us. Like, he's us, but better. But that's a completely, like, unbiblical view of God. God is the creator. He created us. In his essence, he's completely different from us. He's nothing like us. Like we share some of his attributes, like we've inherited some of his DNA, but still God is completely different from us. Um, I'm trying to think of an, an analogy, like how we can start understanding this, but imagine I made a little Murray, a little doll, um, and I made it like yay high, but it's also like long and skinny and it's got a brush cut. Um, 
and like he also scares easily and stuff, like this little doll. And I'll call it like Mini Murray, and Mini Murray's like walking around here. Um, and then it looks just like me, but in, a, like in every essence, it's not me. It's not like, I am not like the doll, even though I've given it attributes of Murray, even though in some senses it reminds you of Murray, that doll can never understand who Murray is. It can never understand the essence of Murray and like, like how my brain works and like how I function and how I feel. Even though it's made in the image of Murray, it's still completely different. Um, and there's this verse in Isaiah. It's like one of my favorite passages in Isaiah 55. But God just tells us that my ways are higher than your ways. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then he goes on to explain that like the word that he gives us will, will produce the fruit, it will accomplish that which he sent it for. Um, but it's so assuring, he just starts with this, like, we don't understand everything, we don't understand God, but we've got like this assurance, this kind of like trust that even though we don't always understand what's happening, God is perfect. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And like now on earth, we see dimly like in a mirror with Vaseline. Like that's kind of like how we are seeing the picture, how we're seeing God. It's like this mirror covered with Vaseline. You, you can kind of see the picture, but not clearly. But one day, there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back for his bride and we'll see him clearly as he sees us clearly. Okay, so <clears throat> I thought I'd help us and prepare some pictures just to like, understand the infinite nature of God, like the greatness of God. This is touching a bit on last week's sermon of um, a God of no limits. But I just wanted to like, yeah, start with this and show you how these pictures are also wrong. Okay, so um, can we go to that? Yeah, so imagine if we're thinking about the size of God and like just his utter like bigness. Imagine we are like the small grain of sand. Like you, you wouldn't be able to see if I'm holding a piece of sand, like that's you. And then imagine all the sand in the whole world, like endless deserts. Like imagine how many grains of sand are there on all the beaches of the world. And that's God. Like that's the bigness of God. Like, and, and we are this little grain of sand. Right? That's huge. It's like our, our mind can kind of compute, but that's massive. And still, like God is bigger than that. Um, or the next slide with the, the world's map. But imagine like our goodness is like a cup of water, like we've got a bit of goodness and a bit of love. Then God's goodness must be like all the water in the whole, in the whole earth, like that covers the whole earth, all that water, like imagine the great deep sea, if you go, just go stand at the beach and you see like, you can't even see the end of the water. Like all that water together, that's the goodness of God. And still that's not enough, right? We can still like, we can picture it, there's a limit to it. Like still God's goodness is even greater than that. Um, or the next part, like the size of the earth, right? Just to give you a picture of like how puny we are. Like that's, right, that's Pumlani on the big earth. And then that sun that we see, that's actually the size of the sun. Like how massive is that, right? And then if you go to the next slide, and now those are billions and billions of other suns, right? And somewhere over there, I don't know if you can see him, but Pumlani's over there, right? <laughs> Like, where do we even fit into all of this limitless? And um, some of those stars are not actually stars. It looks like a star, but it's called a quasar. It's actually a galaxy of billions of stars, which are so far away that to us it looks like one star. Right? Those are like billions and billions of stars. And somewhere in there, God 
sees us. Like, he's bigger than all of this. Um, so they say light travels, like if you just send a beam of light, it's going to travel in one second 300,000 kilometers far. So just in our galaxy, for light to travel from the one side to the other side, it takes like 100,000 years, just for light, which is like instant. And then they say the size of the universe, for light to travel from the one side to the other side, like no, they really don't even know. Like we can't even see the end of the universe. But they say it'll take like more than 28 billion years, and even then the universe is still expanding. And that's what God created when, like it says in Genesis, and he spoke, like, let there be light. Right, like everything was created, the whole universe. And like that's our God, he's bigger than that, right? He's not even like, he's not even in the universe, he's bigger than the universe. Like God, yeah, okay, so now I'm gonna explain why, oh sorry, wait, I still have a slide where God named every one of those stars. He named Umlani, like on earth over there. He saw Pumlani and he made him in his image. And he saw it like, I want to have a relationship with Pumlani. And he created him. Sorry, Pumlani, I'm picking on you today. But yeah, like how amazing is that? And it says like he named every star. He knows the name. He, na he, like, he counts every hair on our head. Um, this infinite God like knows us. Yes, that's, sometimes I just like wonder about that. And I don't know how to respond to God. Like how, like, how can I even like worship you now? Um, and then these images are all cool, right? Like we have this picture of how big God is and how good God is. And still like that's actually not accurate pictures. In some ways, they aren't helpful because still like we contain the universe and by space, we it as like this, this blob. But God isn't like that. He's not limited by space. He's not limited by time. God isn't the biggest thing of all big things. He's not the greatest thing of all great things. He is the essence of being, right? Like, he's, he's not like the most beautiful of anything that's beautiful. Like, he's the essence of beauty. Like, before there was, like, he thought, of, he thought of beauty. He, like, thought of the concept and then made beauty. So he's infinitely beauty. So when we say God is perfect, it's not like, okay, there's this exam, and there's all these questions, and they've got right answers, and there's a standard, and you aced the exam, and you got 100%. So your exam is perfect, right? Because it's like measured according to a standard. There's no standard for God. Like God is the standard. He's the essence of being. Um, when he introduced himself to Moses, Moses was like, okay, God, what, like, what should I tell the people? Like, what's your name? And he said, just tell them I am spoke to you. And that's the, the, that's the name he chose to go by. I am, just the essence of being. Okay, so God is perfectly perfect, like in his perfection is infinite. Um, every attribute we attribute to God in his beauty is infinite, infinitely beautiful, infinitely desirable, infinitely gracious, infinitely merciful, infinitely good, infinitely just. And that then also brings it like how, like how can we even, like how, how is our sin reconcilable if we have sinned against an infinite God that makes our sin like infinitely deserve punishment? Um, and that's, yeah, I'm going on a bit of a tangent, but the only way that we can atone for our sin, the only, the only way that our infinite sin can be atoned for is through God himself. Okay, and then the next point that we need to unlearn is God does not need us. Okay, this is, this is how I used to tell the gospel. I used to tell people like, God 
was there, like before anything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always existed. Um, but he was lonely. So then he, it was like he had like, he was almost complete, but he like, he was lonely. So he created us to have a relationship with him. Right? And then we like filled that gap in God. Okay, but that's complete hogwash. God doesn't need us. Like God was like, he wasn't lonely in heaven. Like he already had perfect communion, perfect unity within like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like he's complete. It's not like something was lacking and then he created earth so that he can like have some purpose. Okay, God created us not because he needed us. God came to earth um, as a man, this infinite God, and he died for our sins. Um, and then he rose again and he created like, he made this gospel for us and this path to reconcile to him. And still he doesn't need it. Right, he doesn't need us to love him. Um, and it also like, brings you to this question. I, I used to do this a lot when I was younger. Like, God, okay, um, I know you want me to like, share the gospel with my friends. So I'll make a deal with you. Like, I'll share the gospel with my friends if you'll help me to like, get good grades at university. <laughs> like, as if somehow I'm contributing to God's kingdom by like, doing something. Right? Like, I, had this, I had this too high a view of myself, like my place in God's kingdom. Like God obviously chose me because he saw some potential in me and like he needed me in his kingdom and his squad. Um, so that's why I'm there. So we need to get rid of that idea. Like God really doesn't need you to follow him. Um, so Paul actually like said this to us he, in Acts 17. Um, this is how we are sharing the gospel to like unbelievers, people who've, not even Jews, people who've never um, heard of God. And he's telling them, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So he's like making this opening line, like the God who created everything, who was before anything was, um, the only thing that wasn't created, this God. Do you think like we serve him with our hands? Like do you think he needs us to serve him? Do you think God like resides within Rick Road building? And like on a Sunday he appears here and then this is like God's house, right? The house of God. Sometimes we call it like the house of God. God doesn't live in houses made by men and he's not served by, by human hands. It's like the one religion where like the punchline isn't that there's this God and we need to serve God. But the punchline is actually there's this God that doesn't need you to serve him. And he's serving us. And he, he since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. So this God who doesn't need us, who is complete without us, without the gospel, he's complete. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Yes, how cool is that? Like that's, that's why God created us. He didn't need us, but yet he created us. He created like all of mankind that they may seek God and some of them will find God. And actually he's not far from us. Like he's not there on the outside of the universe. Like, watching down, like sometimes when we pray, we think of God like that, like God in heaven, the man upstairs, 
and we're praying, and it feels like our prayers are like hitting the ceiling, and it's not reaching God. But God is the essence of being. God is. Like, God is here. Um, sometimes you don't experience Him. Sometimes you're not aware of Him. But, like, God is here. Even when we're not here, God is everywhere. And He made us that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us. Established, God doesn't need Him. In Him, we live and move and have our being. Okay, so now we've established God doesn't need, doesn't need you. Okay, so you can go home. God doesn't need you. <laughs> Yet, this infinite God desires to know you. Yeah, how cool is that? Like, this infinite God, greater than the universe, even though he doesn't need us, he desires us, every one of us. And there's millions of people on this earth. And yet he desires to know you. He called you by name. It said he created from every nation, he, oh, he created every nation, all of mankind, that they may seek him. Um, there's this love letter in John 17. Uh, I was speaking earlier about Isaiah 55, how that, that used to be like one of my favorite passages of Scripture, but I think now this is my favorite chapter, Isaiah, oh, John 17. Um, but it's just before Jesus went back. Um, so Jesus knew the end of his, his life on earth is coming to an end. Um, he's going to go to the cross now. He knows the path is cut out. He, he completed his work on earth. Now he's going to die for our sins, and then um, the rest will follow. And now he's like, with his disciples around him, he's praying to God. Um, but you kind of get the room, like, oh, the, the idea, like, he's, he's praying to God, but actually he's, like, speaking to the disciples so that they hear, like, how he feels about them when he's speaking to God. So it's like a love letter, right? Okay, so we can, leave, like, we can read this and, like, just get, get Jesus' heart for us. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The glory, I'm going to start again. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So he's saying we there, it's kind of like weird, like God, like Jesus is saying, like, we are one. It's like this whole, like, confusing part of the Trinity. But like, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God, they were one before the foundation of the world. They were perfectly complete and one. And now he's saying, like, he's praying, God, please, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may also be part of this. Like, that, that they may, like, join us in this oneness. I in them and you in me. I in them and you in me. This infinite, perfect God desires to, like, live with you, to, like, become part of you and you become part of him. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. Can you see that desire? Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. God really desires to be in communion with you. He doesn't need you to join him. So if you reject him like, He's going to hurt, 
but he doesn't need you. He's still complete. But God desires every one of us to join him, to like know him, to surrender our all. I was speaking earlier about that, like when we realize the infinite nature of God, like how can we even respond? Like what do we do about this? Like once we realize how small and insignificant we are, and the only thing we can do is to surrender. Like that's, that's the only valid response. Like I can do nothing. Like I can't even atone for my own sin. God, I give up. Like take everything. I don't, want, I don't any longer want to live for myself. Like I want you to live for me. Like come be with me. Come into my life. I give you everything. And then the next response after surrender is love. Like this infinitely beautiful God. How can we not love? How can we not respond in love and worship him? Um, so then the rest of our lives become just this like continuous worship song. Everything we do, like this is, this is not the definition of worship, right? When we come on, on stage and sing a few songs and then go on. Like our lives are songs of worship to God. Um, that's what we, we give to him. And then there's this, this part in John 17. Um, like it's actually earlier in the part where, where he actually explains eternal life. Um, can we go to the next slide? So he doesn't say, this is also where we, we often miss it. He doesn't say, okay, do this thing. You'll pass through the gate and you'll get a ticket so that one day you will live forever. That's sometimes how we see it. Like, I just need a ticket to get into heaven one day and then that's when eternal life begins and then I just live forever with God. But he's saying, this is eternal life. That they would know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So remember, God is the essence of being. Like, God's life is eternal. He's without time. This is eternal life. Not that we would live forever, that we would not die. But actually, this is eternal life, that we would know Him, that we would become one with Him, that we would have communion with Him. And this is what He desires for every one of us. Okay, so I kept it a bit shorter so that we can worship the song again and just respond together. But let's all stand up and come get the elements of communion. And then could the band also come up, please? So this is eternal life, that we would know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This infinite God became man. He came down to earth, lived like us. He lived, lived a holy, blameless life. And then in our place, he died and took our sins upon him. And then he rose again, and now he's seated in heaven with God above every rule and authority. And he's given us the chance that we may know him too. If we put our faith in Jesus and ask him to come and save us, he is infinitely merciful. So, yeah, just in your group, let's just pray together. Thank God. Thank God for who he is, what he's done for us. Um, and then after that, we're just gonna go straight into worshiping higher gig or there's no one like God. And you may have communion.
Okay. 